0: Listening to a Drishti Point podcast? Please visit our website for more
1: inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Good evening, and welcome to Co-op Radio, CFRO one hundred two point seven FM. You're here with Drishti Point Yoga Radio. I'm your host Maduri, and I've got a special guest this evening, Miss Kate Potter. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Kate Potter is an internationally acclaimed yoga teacher, yoga therapist, and creator of the yoga TV show Namaste, which has been seen on five continents. Besides teaching classes and retreats, Kate has been teaching yoga as therapy for all conditions. Her study of Ayurveda has given her an informed approach to personalized programs, and her newest offering is a radical system of yoga therapy called New Pathways Yoga Therapy. So Kate, I would love just so the audience can get a sense of you and your background if they don't know you already, uh, how you got into studying yoga and then eventually teaching yoga.
0: Sure. Well, I, I started yoga really young. I actually started to dance at uh, six years old. And by the time I was 10, I began a yoga practice. I didn't know it was a yoga practice, but I used to get up really early in the morning and uh, sit beside my mom, who was practicing her piano, and do postures and Sometimes my sisters and brothers would say oh Kate's doing her exercises Be quiet and I'd say these aren't my exercises. I was very, you know, even at that time I was really aware or in my memory anyways I was aware that it wasn't just a, a physical practice for me. It was something something else I didn't really know it was yoga.
1: And who who was, did, was someone showing you those? Did you have a model? of those postures, no, where did it come at, from? not <laughs> at
0: all, so it is it's kind of surprising, it was surprising for me later to find those postures, to realize that what I was practicing was, was actually was a system and, um, and came from India, and of course I made my first journey to India when I was quite young and uh, did that solo. I left, um, I left my house at a very young age and uh, bought a one-way ticket to Asia, and everybody said, you can't do that, and I said, yes, I can. (laughs) So I spent a year in in India by myself.
1: And what what were you going for, and what did you find? Did you know what you were going for?
0: I actually went to study dance. I thought I had an idea about um, Indian dance that I was, that that's what I wanted to study. So when I arrived in India, I um, just was looking for that. I was looking for a dance teacher. And I actually found um, uh, University of Mysore, I walked right in the front door and basically offered my services as a Western dance teacher in exchange for classes in, um, in dance. But then they gave me, I basically became a, uh, a student of uh, their yogic studies program and their music program and their dance program. They, they basically just said, come to any class and every class. And all I really had to do for that was teach a few modern dance classes
1: and on your journey in India did you come across any other teachers that were influential absolutely
0: in fact that was that didn't last that long before some of my student friends said our teacher Swami Chinmayananda is coming to Bangalore which was not very far but they could nobody could afford to go they said you must go you must go and take the greetings from us to our teacher and so I went for, a, it was a two-week intensive in, um, in yoga, but there's no postures. Like that's the thing in India often people don't realize, is that yoga is a philosophy and it's a study and it's a, a, a life practice, but it doesn't always entail postures. And definitely this uh, Swami Chinmayananda and the, his style of yoga had no postures, but I very much fell in love with, with the, whole, uh, the whole philosophy.
1: And what was his style of, of yoga?
0: He was really a scholar of Vedanta, and so the the intensives there had to do with um, a, a lot of scripture study. Really, storytelling. Swamiji was was a great storyteller. But you know, we would be studying basically the Upanishads and the Gita, and um, so there was there was always Hindi classes and Sanskrit classes and um, meditation, of course, and chanting and just. The only piece that was missing, and really missing for me because I'm a Hatha Yogi from 10 years old, was that physical piece. But in his very words, um, Swami Chinmayananda was, was very much against the Hatha Yoga postures because he thought that that would increase the um, identification with the body and increase the identification with the ego. And he basically predicted for the West what would happen in the West with Hatha Yoga and the the incredible over-identification with the the ego through Hatha Yoga.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So, as a yoga teacher here in the West, how does that, um, his sort of prediction, so to speak, influence your understanding of yoga and your Expression in your teaching of what you're guiding your students towards?
0: Well, it is difficult because students really, really do want a physical practice. They want something that's going to burn calories and make them sweat and, and give them some feeling of reaching a goal. And in the type of yoga that I teach, um, you really have to put the goals aside. You really have to look, you have to orient yourself to um, a curiosity and a a, a way of um, opening that doesn't have to do with the end product. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult in some ways when you see all these students out there that are looking at you like, oh, I'm not into this. Um, But in another way, I I think that that's the one piece that's that's missing and so I, I hope to be able to fill a gap for people, I, I really like to bring comfort into the body. And there is, you know, I didn't actually, in the end, I don't actually agree with Swami Jinn because I do think the physical piece is very important. And uh, in his later years when he was ill, and when he, you know, just before he died, he, he went through a, a long period of discomfort. And, you know, at that point, I wish I could have been there for him, in a way, just to teach him some basic... Practices that give comfort to the body.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the, the body is so important, and we can't separate that, uh, even though there's such a huge emphasis on it here in the West. Yeah. Uh, so, you're a yoga therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm just curious if you could expand on that and explain a little bit what is yoga therapy?
0: Sure. Well, I think traditionally the way that yoga therapy has been taught in the West is non-prescriptive. So that is to say that the yoga therapist does not try to fix the client um, by prescribing certain postures, but rather um, tries to build an awareness and inspire um, curiosity again. And um, definitely uh, yoga therapy is about taking the body to a place of of complete rest, so that the natural healing capacity of the body is awakened. So that's traditionally how yoga therapy here in the West is taught, is a a non-prescriptive approach. Um, My new pathways yoga therapy is, is radically different in that it is prescriptive. It's definitely, I'm making a yoga program that's specific to if you come to me I look at your structure, the injuries that you have had, your posture, your Ayurvedic abilities, your, the way that you're strong, the way that you're weak, your tendencies and I take that and make a program for you and I say do this, follow this program, do these mudras, do these breathing practices, do these postures and that is sometimes just enough for people. They just need a practice, and they need a practice that's specific to them. But for other people, for people who are either in chronic pain, or chronically depressed, or addicted, that's not enough. It just doesn't take them to a place where they can get over the patterns of the brain that have got them lodged, psychologically or physically arrested in a place where they're not shifting, they're not moving. And that's what New Pathways Yoga Therapy is, is really, for me, that's the exciting part, is taking it to brain repatterning, really being proactive in changing the patterns of the brain.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's very exciting. And I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about the piece that seems perhaps in the traditional yoga therapy or even yoga practice wasn't there and that you're bringing to it, the piece of the reprogramming of the brain, why is that so important? Sure. And and how do you do it? (laughs) How do you do
0: it? Absolutely, because, uh, I mean, it's, it's very easy once you get the knack of it and yet it's because people who are in chronic pain or chronic depression are so used to coming up against a brick wall we expect it to be difficult. Now, the reason I think I can speak to this is because I lived with a condition in the West, it's known as fibromyalgia. But of course in Ayurveda, that's, it's, it's really a condition of vata being out of balance to, to a big degree. Um, I was really happy in my body for many, many years. It wasn't until my late 30s, well into my yoga career, my yoga therapy, full-time career, Um, where I developed this condition. It seemed to come on overnight, like a flu, and it didn't go away. In fact, it got worse. And for the first six years of that disease, I would say I was actually pretty good about it. I mean, I really made it a study. I really thought, well, I'm a yoga therapist. This This has landed in my lap for me to learn. I can do this, and I can learn a lot from my pain, and I'll be able to know how to, to speak to people who who live in pain, because it, it was like being tortured. It was literally the pain was not somehow just in the joints, but really in the bones, like a, a feeling of being crushed always, or the bones being twisted, and the skin being burning hot or icy cold. It was, it was it, I really, you know, I really remember it as a as a, a dark period. So for six or so years, I think I, I did all right, and then. And then I pretty much, for the next two years, just kind of gave up. Gave up imagining that I would, would ever get well and would ever live a normal life. And I was doing a lot of, by this point in time, I was actually taking a lot of um, different you know, drugs. <laughs> drugs for pain, uh, drugs to sleep. Sleeping disorders are huge with thought imbalance, of course. Um, but then also, finally, antidepressants. I became really depressed. And um, what got me out of this was a course that I took called The Lightning Process. Lightning, like a bolt of lightning, process.com, if you want to look it up. It's, um, it's from the UK, developed by an osteopath named Phil Parker. Uh, the course was only a weekend. I would tried everything. I'm pretty skeptical by nature, um, and really wasn't that came to do an expensive weekend course that I wasn't sure was going to work. But I did it because I had a really high reference from a person that I really trusted who had also been sick for many years. And she got herself well through this this process. And the process um, is what I've incorporated into my yoga therapy.
1: Can you continue your... Your story of um, coming out of that depression and finding this uh, training, this lightning
0: process. lightning process, Yeah, so um, the thing about the lightning process is, first of all, it doesn't have anything to do with yoga, per se, and yet, we all know, any of us who have studied yoga deeply, we know that yoga has to do with the mind, with training the mind. Well, the new science lately, you know, in the the past 20 years, uh, neuroscience has changed a lot in that now they know that the brain is plastic or the brain is mobile. It changes. And also we know that there is neurogenesis, that new cells are being born in the brain. So the premise of the lightning process is that um, we become an expert at whatever we pattern in. So people like myself, who've been living with chronic pain for eight years, have become experts at pain. Just like a violinist would become an expert at using their hands, the area in the brain that is mapped out to do with fingers grows. So in somebody who's living with with chronic pain, pretty soon, pretty much everything starts to trigger pain. And your brain, just any area in the brain that is not being sold as real estate, it will just take the first, the lowest bidder will get it. So your brain just becomes an expert at pain. You develop a huge capacity for pain. And probably, um, you know, all the meditation that I was doing, hitting the wall with observing the pain was actually only Working to deepen those grooves deepen those pathways. So with the lightning process. There's there's basically four steps to it Um, the, The first step is is to watch the brain of course watch the patterns in the mind and say stop You stand up you physically stand up turn around make a massive gesture That says stop that's enough stop the same word over and over again so, so there's, that's the first step is stop. The next step is choose. You have to recognize that you have a choice here. In fact, they use the language doing pain. So it's not you know the pain has come from somewhere else it's from outside. you're actually doing it. You're involved in the pain. You're doing pain. you're doing depression, you're doing tiredness. So as a active participant in pain, you have to decide, I have a choice. Am I going to keep doing pain or am I going to take another pathway? So stop, choose, then coach. And the coaching has a lot to do with memory. You have to remember what it was like before you got sick. And if I'm dealing, if now when I'm working with clients who are dealing with depression or addiction, you have to remember what it was like before. you have this big piece of your life that's been hijacked. You have to remember.
1: And remember more than just an intellectual exercise of remembering. Remember on a deeper cellular level. Exactly,
0: Maduri. You have to remember it so that it becomes you. So you're taught these techniques over the course of the weekend um, of sort of building a memory bank of, of certain times in your life when you're Really happy, really strong, really content, you know it depends on what your particular difficulty is, but for me, in that um, in that I'd become weak, tired,, um, and sore, I needed to remember a time when I was strong and really happy and really uh, vigorous, so the memory's a big part of it, and then there's one further step which um, has to do with projecting into the future, basically, and it has to do with forming, living your dream. Are you going to live your nightmare? Are you going to live your dream? If you're going to live your dream, you have to project forward as well, knowing, having some confidence, having some faith in this practice. Otherwise, it's not going to go anywhere. So some people, you know, it's it's true that that it's not going to work for some people. I'm totally
1: on board with you, and I a lot of what we're talking about is what I use in my own practice and I'm curious if, if people say to you, "Well, Kate, that sounds all fine and well, but isn't that suppression
0: mm. What would you
1: say with that challenge of someone thinking, well aren't you just suppressing the depression or suppressing the
0: pain i uh, you know that's a it's a a good thing and I'll definitely think about it and, and come back with a further further thoughts on that but for me just right off the top of the head uh, no, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not it, I don't even I don't even know how or why or what it was that got me into an 8 year period of chronic pain in a way it doesn't matter to me mm-hmm. because all of the you know the this, the talk therapy and the idea that you know this this came from something that happened when you were a child, or maybe it has to do with your mother or your father, or that never resonated with me. I had a really healthy, easy, wonderful, happy childhood. Lots of you know, lots of children, a big family, a, a, a radiant, lively life. Um, in fact, it it, it just I I think it's better sometimes not to bring all that stuff up. Just get down to what matters and that these thoughts are not serving me. A thought that says, I can't do this, is not serving me. A thought that says, I am just so weak and tired and sick of life, is not serving me. That has to be clipped, it has to be pruned and the the thought process has to get back to, I love life. (laughs) I'm strong, I'm capable, and I'm moving forward.
1: And for you, because having a long-term illness like that, and and you had said earlier that by you know the sixth year and the last couple of years, you you just felt like giving up. Mm-hmm. But something changed for you, so you went from that feeling of wanting to give up, despair, uh, to bringing this new way of thinking of being into your system. Was it really just that one weekend course that shifted things, that, that provided you with enough inspiration and energy
0: um, to yeah. make that shift? Well, th- thanks for bringing that up because, you know, no, I mean, I, I think that even in my weakest and darkest times, I knew that I was ready. I knew that I was ready for something, very, a very big break. Uh, it's just that I tried so many things and uh, been ready for so long. And then, you know, I thought that the first year of fibromyalgia, I thought this will probably take me about a year. Second year, same thing. Well, maybe a couple of years. So when you really feel like you're ready for a breakthrough and it doesn't happen, it's discouraging and you get tired. Chronic pain makes you really tired. But I did go. Uh, I did go to India. I did go back to India, probably my seventh time journey to India, specifically to an Ayurvedic um, uh, Panchakarma. So it was a, a month in Panchakarma, and I got off all of my drugs. So I came off the antidepressants and the sleeping pills and the painkillers and did an Ayurvedic treatment, which really helped a lot. The problem was was that about a month after the treatment, and if things I'd been quite well coming back to Canada. But I just couldn't keep all of the vigorous rules that go along with, with an Ayurvedic prescription like for vata vitiated problems. I mean, you really don't want to be on a computer. You really don't want to have your own business because you need to use a computer. You really don't want to travel a lot. And at the time, I was still traveling from my show Namaste, the One of the ways that, that I actually made my career was by traveling to to places where the television show was popular, and, and doing weekend intensives, weekend retreats, and that takes a lot of energy. And so as soon as I started to do all of that again, the pain came back. So the course in in the lightning process is, is different. It teaches you, it te- teaches you about clipping thoughts, like oh oh this doesn't look good this doesn't feel right I can't do this it teaches you to, to, to just say no to those thoughts and get back to your memory of, of how vigorous and, and lively you can be. Which is such an
1: empowering place to be when you recognize that you're in control of your thoughts and that you're the one that can prune and cut and and stop the negative thinking and retrack and repattern the positive thinking
0: exactly so empowering it is so empowering and that's why I think that people like yourself and and myself I think that with with our ability as yoga therapists we can really help people. we can really make a difference people who have given up on um, on life really it's a way of saying you can have a new life if You have the discipline to change your patterns. (laughs) That's that's the issue, is how many people even can slow down enough to watch their thoughts and to see what what those thoughts are triggering and to say, stop. Because really, it took me one week. Once Once I did the practice, it didn't happen right away. Three or four days into it, I called my friend who got me into it and said, this is not working. And she said, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Just do the practice. Just keep doing this little song and dance routine. It's kind of like a circle that you're, you're making. It's, a, it's very much like an action dance. Kinesthetic cues. The body and the brain working together. If it's just the brain, it's not as effective. I think that's, that's the piece that I love so much. There has to be a kinesthetic cue to the brain. Just the way that you would train a dog. You don't just talk to the dog. You actually make a gesture with your hand or even with children, you, you make a gesture, it's more powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and how does that then come into, I mean, our practice of asana, the yoga postures as we know it, is very much kinesthetic and physical, but somehow there seems to be a disconnect between um, a, you know, the the way that yoga has primarily moved in the West as the physical, and then meditation somehow seems to be something separate. We look at manas, the mind, as as a different activity, mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like you're saying the reprogramming is emerging of both the observation of the mind, the integration of the kinesthetic ability to connect, and the conscious empowered state of uh, redirecting the thoughts.
0: Absolutely, is that right? that's. I, I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> <So> thank you.
1: <laughs> so, how can we bring this into our kind of mainstream understanding of yoga, of yoga asana.
0: Well, that would be a really tall order, (laughs) (laughs) I I do believe, because, I mean, a little bit what's happened um, with yoga is it's become a little bit of a cult of youth, Hmm. right? It's very much uh, a place where people go to look young, to feel young, and to be sexy, now the like if that's what you want in the mind you can absolutely create that and that is what people are, are creating and, and it's working. It's working and it's nice. But it, it's not a lasting that that's not a lasting happiness. I guess what's really important to teach people in yoga is is a happiness that's that's less about the ego, that's more altruistic. There's, there's much more satisfaction in, there's much more happiness in helping somebody. There's much more satisfaction and happiness in, in giving. And when, when you teach that and when people get that, then that would be a really, a, a really nice thing to be able to do in a yoga class. Is to give that orientation and to 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 start doing what yoga was always meant to do was to diminish the ego, and by diminishing the ego, and by being less self-centered, it's just a natural process of becoming more happy. And it works the other way around too. You know, if you, if you're really happy, you, you go out into the world and you're really happy. There's this not quite as much a sense of self importance. And and you just end up being more open to people. You think of the states of sadness and anger, they're much more self important. And, and they're much less open. So the only problem, the only restriction that I see with, with yoga classes today is that it's that self importance is being a little bit encouraged. Like, look at me. Look at how well I'm doing this posture. Look at how beautiful my body has become. Look and, and attachment to that, and that doesn't go very far. Let me tell you. Once you wind up in a place of um, chronic pain or chronic illness, or go to the hospital for a while, or lose some part of your body, or or you know lose lose somebody that means a lot to you, mm-hmm. it just doesn't carry enough strength.
1: Yeah, and, and that's really when we get the opportunity to see how deep our practice is, is when life throws us yeah. uh, a curveball in, in many, a myriad of different forms. It's like, how deep are the roots of our practice? Right. And do they have uh, any connection to something deeper than our yoga mat?
0: Right, right. And even teaching yoga postures that are so simple and so um, sweet and nourishing that you can do them when you're ill. Mm. Uh, a lot of people will say to me, "Oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to do yoga. I've been, I've been off yoga. I've had a, a sore wrist, or I've, I hurt my back, or I've been." And I think, well, that doesn't make sense at all. Or even, if, even if you have the flu, um, for me, the, 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 as soon as I can get on the mat, I do. Just so laying on my back, doing some pelvic rocking and a little bit of breathing. And, and that's, I guess, what I really learned too with fibromyalgia. You wake up and you feel like you've been run over by a truck. And I never I never stopped practicing, I never stopped the asanas. It's just that they became all about comfort, all about uh, bringing energy into a body that, that feels heavy and dark and sore, and there's a lot you can do. And that's so beautiful, just thinking about
1: asana as bringing comfort into the body. What a revelation. <laughs> right, it's not a fitness
0: <laughs> program. Like
1: how can we be comfortable in our body and, and take that back to a steady seat, right? The, the essence of asana sure. is a stable and steady seat, the meaning of the word itself.
0: Exactly. So bring it back to the, to the roots of the, of the practice, of the, of the real... Atta Yogis, where they came from and and what the practice really means in India. I think, you know, coming back to the beginning of the interview and you asked me about Swami Chinmayananda and um, his his idea that you can over-identify with the body by doing asana. Now that's very true, but all you need to do is change the orientation and that won't happen. All you need to do is remember, this is about bringing comfort into the body, steady seat. And it's right there in the word asana. It's perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. Yoga therapy is yoga. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Like The way that I look at yoga is it's always been a form of therapeutic uh, benefit. That it's never been anything but that at its at at its essence. So, uh, before the break, you were talking about you know some people coming to you and saying, "Oh, I have a have a sore back or sore wrist or I've had the flu, I can't practice." And really, that's when we're called to practice even more than ever. Right. Is when there is
0: discomfort. Right. Yeah, and, and sometimes you know, it's certainly in Ayurveda and the disease in the body is a call to God in a way. It's your tapas, it's your way of it's the the, the fierce heat to know, to understand. So it's always seen as an opportunity. The illness is always seen as an opportunity in Ayurveda to come closer to understanding. Uh, I agree with you, yoga always has, yoga and yoga therapy should not have such a separation, even in the class format. When I teach a class, I, I'm sort of assessing the class and saying, okay, well, how many pittas are out there? How many vadas are out there? How many kaphas are out there? How can I balance the room? How, how can I essentially bring balance to a whole room full of energy? If, if I was just to teach the same thing, you know, the same sort of exercises, it just wouldn't feel creative to me. I just, I, I, I've never been able to, I, I guess that's probably why I never followed any one specific tradition, even though I've taken so many classes in, you know, to all the different types of, of yoga, but I, I could never claim to be any one of those types of yoga. Because for me, it's really about being creative and communicating and, and in the moment, just what, what's going to come up right now. How is this class going to go? How is it going to shape? And for me, it really is always yoga therapy.
1: And within the context of your teaching and your own life, are there certain principles or teachings that are really the core of what you do? Or values that spur you forward?
0: Well, as I said before, I'm big on comfort in the body. Mm -hmm. I'm also really, um, I I love uh, a practice that is flowing. So even though I understand the the benefit of the static form of the postures and I, I do that in my practice, I really love the feeling of moving from posture to posture and the energy that comes in the spaces between the, the postures. And the energy that comes in the spaces between the breaths has become a really big deal for me, is teaching the, the pranayama to use with the movement so that you inhale it's like coming to life every time and then there's this brief pause at the top of the inhale where everything feels full like summer and then there's this long beautiful descent this long ride of the exhale breath and then at the end of the exhale when all the air is out there's another merging and that's the really. Juicy place, this merging where form and emptiness become the same. Two sides of the same coin. You can really, literally feel it when you don't breathe in and when you don't move forward. So there's it's like this this sense of no anticipation, but really merging at the end of the exhale. Really letting your your body almost disappear. And then when you when you do that with, with movement, it's kind of um, it becomes more. Um, I th- I think I would have loved qigong and tai chi and all those martial arts as as much as as yoga because they move in that way and the awareness is about energy lines that continue on beyond the body. I'm really into the five elements, of course. You know, the study of ayurveda and how those elements are expressed in the body. All of that. Is talking about my my physical practice. My spiritual practice is um, very much informed by Zen Buddhism. So that is coming a little bit away from my Vedic roots. Um, and I, I love the notion of emptiness. I love the the notion of of no self as opposed to self. It's it's quite it's that's quite radically different. So I'm always bridging that gap a little bit when I'm. Teaching yoga.
1: And could I loved what you said about um, emptiness and being and form being two sides of the same coin. And could it be that the the Vedic practices and the Zen Buddhism are in essence two sides of the same coin, also? Perhaps.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is. Or do it you it feel is, they're on
1: different tracks?
0: Well, it's just such a different orientation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Like
0: I mean, in Zen Buddhism, we don't even talk about or We're not really so interested in life after life after life or reincarnation that's that's not a, a piece whereas in yoga that really is mm-hmm. a big piece and um, the sense of emptiness being um, potential but being formless and being no self uh, that's quite a different orientation than atman or self and sort of merging with self right it, it does feel philosophically quite, and I mean that 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 is what where the Buddha made made it made a big break on mm. that was that was maybe you know the biggest break or the biggest shift but yeah I mean it, it's it's fun to think that we all have just different ways of understanding in, in the end, maybe it's just language is it just language
1: Well, I always get that sense that at the end of the day isn't everyone really trying to say the same thing but yeah. <laughs> like, and maybe there's just a, yeah a language barrier or a, a context or content barrier but really when we sit in that stillness and when there is that moment that you say at the you know where you're not breathing in and you're not breathing out who can dispute that Put really? right? what no words to that and perhaps in the explanation of trying to talk about that that experience—it's all lost, and it comes out in different gods and goddesses, and form, and emptiness, and this sea of mess that keeps us entangled in what we're trying to uh, not be entangled
0: in. For sure,
1: and it's all a bit of a cosmic joke, really. <laughs> at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> well, I think that you know, some people—it's no problem to to embrace many different ways of thinking. Some students, you know, like Joseph, you think of Joseph Campbell and and his ability to talk about every type of myth, and every type of um, religion, every, every practice, and no confusion there, right? Just interest, just curiosity. But for some students, I think it is a problem. I think that they just have to choose one. Mm -hmm. They really just have to choose one form and follow it. There's something that you believe in and follow it and and simplify it and make it easy and and, and not talk too much. Absolutely do the practice. Really
1: get to know that one practice and dig deep in it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me also. Yeah. Uh, We've got a few minutes left, and I'm wondering if there's any final words you'd like to share, or sentiments you'd like to to share with the audience about how you came to your yoga therapy or what the new Pathways Yoga Therapy is um, for you.
0: I'm very much in a process of um, my life where I'm I'm recreating myself and um, I know lots of, of people are in that process now too, it seems to be a general theme. Um, I feel really confident, and I feel really encouraged, and I feel really positive. And I just think, you know, like, uh, how many years? Twenty years into being a full-time yoga teacher, I, I feel like I'm finally beginning. I'm finally ready to um, to share and to to teach. I'm finally ready to teach. And, but a teacher needs students, and um, so I, you know, I really want to encourage anybody who has been living with chronic pain to, you know, approach me and, and, and let me help you. Um, my experience in living with chronic pain is, was kind of, you know, reasserted this, this winter. I, just through who knows how I came down with meningitis. And yeah. I was in the hospital for six weeks. And it's taken me, you know, like a good five, six months to recover. But it was the same, it was the same kind of positive uh, feeling that I got in, the, in learning how to take care of myself with fibromyalgia and finally healing myself from that. I did the same process. It was the same, you know, repattern the brain. Don't give in to any kind of despair. And in this way, I feel like I can help people. I feel like I can help. Anybody with chronic pain, I know I can help. Mm. Chronic depression, I'm ready. And addiction is something that um, I'm not quite as confident with, but I sure want the opportunity. So if if, if any of your listeners feel like they would like to approach me, my uh, my work is, is advertised on my website, katepotteryoga.ca.
1: katepotteryoga.ca, wonderful. And it sounds like... Your, all of your life experiences uh, through the trenches and all of the challenges, obstacles, and have given you such strength and clarity and confidence and, and the, the gift of being able to share your transformation and teach others how to also transform their pain, their depression, their anxiety, whatever they're suffering with into a positive state and,
0: and make their life better. Thanks, Madhuri. That sounds great. (laughs) You bet.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for being here uh, with us on Drishti Point, Kate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, and uh, I look forward to speaking with
0: you again. Thank you very much. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.